1: OPEC, big in the news this week. How are they going to handle the oil crisis? Oil crisis just being too much supply, not enough demand. And part of the supply issue is, you know, shale in the United States. Analysts in Citibank's Commodities Research Team warned that the shale, gas, and oil revolution in the U.S. has been ignored too long by OPEC, which is basically a 12-nation global oil oil producing network, and that they must agree to cut production when it meets on Thursday, otherwise oil prices will continue to slide. And that's not good for anyone in the oil world, them or us. So lots of years of inaction, the shale revolution. Um, Again, if you go to some parts of the United States, South Dakota, North Dakota, Wyoming, you'd be surprised at what boom towns are popping up. Without women, without children, just men working the oil industry, so to speak. So that's out there. That's worthy of thinking about. Um, Markets, yeah, I'm not all that stressed about markets right now. We're having good days, we're having good months, we're having a good year. So day by day, it's less of an issue to talk about. But it's going to get rocky. At some point, just be ready for it and be comfortable with it. So let's bring in CFP, Chad Burton. Joining me now, Bay source.com's very own Tony Mendez. You can hear him Thursday evenings on this radio station, on this show on a regular basis, but Thursday evenings from 6 to 7 when he does his real estate report for KDOW AM 1220. One of the areas that I, I saw that was interesting was household wealth up 10 trillion in, in the year 2013 which was a 14% increase from 2012, household wealth is stocks and bonds. So, we feel I mean that's a lot of wealth. You see that headline, Americans are up 10 trillion in household wealth, value of homes, stocks, banks accounts when you minus out mortgages, credit cards and debts. That's psychologically pretty powerful. It is. Yeah. So, of that 5.6 trillion came from the increase in stocks. Whereas just $2.3 trillion, half of what came from stocks went from home's values. And that's I'm, I'm not knocking it. That's a good number. What's nice to note about that is just telling the story, $10 trillion, that's future economy spending to me. And that's psychologically pretty powerful. If people's homes go up in value, what do they do?
0: They, spend, they usually they feel better about their value of their house, and they start spending money. They take equity lines out, or they cash out some way or another, or they start spending more money on their credit card to improve their property. That's the first thing that people usually do. And then they'll
1: say things like, you know what? It looks like we're going to make it to retirement, so let's go on a vacation, or let's make them another, and they go on vacation and make a baby, and that's mm-hmm. financially a very big decision. That's probably a bigger decision than buying a house now, because yeah. it's, it's about $300,000 dollars from age zero to 17 to raise a kid. That's a house in most of America, right? So families of four in the Bay Area, I don't get it. I don't get it. That's, you're committing uh, to it. A,
0: it's, yeah. a, it's a very interesting combination where you have a child, and you go, you know what? We have a child now, we have to buy a house. Yeah. So <laughs> buying a house and having a child, two the largest decisions you'll ever make.
1: You know, having a kid, though, is also a great financial decision because some of the things that you were doing before going on vacations and getting no return, other than you seeing the Louvre, You're now putting into a house or you're now putting into education, which does have return on investment. You're putting into better financial assets. But let's talk about household wealth, $10 trillion. Let's say I'm feeling good. My home value, according to Zillow, is done great. I'm not assuming that's a real number, but let's just say it's close. Um, How do I go about getting a home equity line of credit? What's that look like?
0: Well, there's a couple ways you can do it. Uh, The most common way is uh, online. With some of the large banks. It okay. seems to be the easiest way. Um, you may or may not get the best rate. There's several places you can go online, like bankrates.com, and look at some of the, the products that lenders are offering. Of course, it's all tied towards your equity and how much you're actually borrowing. Surprisingly, the larger amount you borrow, the lower the rate. If you only borrow 50000 you might get prime plus one, as opposed to 200000 with prime plus zero. So it all depends on what your your scenario looks
1: like. What documents do I need?
0: It's going to be similar to the the, the whole loan transaction. Okay. You still have to prove that you, you qualify. Um, do
1: I submit taxes?
0: Um, in most cases, you will, yes. Okay.
1: Two years of taxes?
0: In most cases, you will, yes.
1: If I lived in Texas, would I have to submit Texas taxes?
0: Texas You know, usually you don't have to do state taxes, but federal.
1: Okay. And that's nice to know because all my taxes are PDF. Do you see most people's taxes PDF, or do people sometimes drop...
0: I've seen Printouts. most people, to be honest with you, send me one PDF of one year and a uh, fax copy of, a, of the next year. It okay. always seems to be kind of – you know, it's funny. What I've noticed, people switch tax, tax accounts a lot, yeah. a lot more than I thought they would have, more than they do with cars.
1: It's interesting. My life was so easy tax-wise until I turned 30. And every year since then, it's gotten more and more complicated as I've added more properties and more types of investments. Um, I highly recommend you. Well, I mean, subject. I switched
0: because I, I, I soon, you know, when I, as soon as I moved out of my property and and I owned multiple rentals, and I started using a different type of account, and it, I also went from self-employed to W two. So there's different reasons why.
1: He's the best in real estate. He is Tony Mendez. He does the show here Thursday evening six to seven. Listen to it. Listen to Chad's show. New focus on wealth from one to two. I think those these three types of shows, mine and theirs really give you an end-to-end end, you know, pie, so to speak, of everything that you need to know on financial issues, whether it's financial planning, whether it's accumulating wealth, whether it's how to manage your 401k or how to manage your mortgage and treat it as the business decision that it is. You can find Tony Mendez at com. That's BayareaLoanSource.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, pick up the phone, 800-516-1220. It's 800 800- to get your calls on the air. The big story this week is going to be on Thursday, and not how much pie do I eat. There will be a pie chart for that, but what does OPEC do? Ten-year Treasury bonds, it's at 2.29% right now. That's incredibly low. It's a problem. It's a good problem on a funny kind of level in the sense that cost of money is cheap. So now is a good time to think about b- borrowing money. But that's because the economy stinks right now. It's not because the economy is hot. We're not at the lowest level of the year, but we're a lot closer to the lowest level of the year on the 10-year Treasury than anywhere else. Again, telling you that the economy stinks. Um, it, and that's okay. If this is what awful looks like, I'm okay. Protests erupted last night in Ferguson, Missouri, following the decision by a grand jury to not indict police officer Darren Wilson, who shot and killed an unarmed teenager Michael Brown in August. About 25 buildings were set on fire in a wave of civil unrest. As of this morning, some buildings still on fire, cars on fire. 150-plus gunshots a night of looting arson and clashes it almost begs the question what year are we in and why is this still happening with that said I'm Rob Black you can find me online at robblack.com
0: So say you say you
2: say you say say are Light flashlights when we fall into the
1: night. Fog with storm, watch your feel? just when you're calling around
0: like that.
1: Check out the movie Whiplash if you haven't had a chance to catch it yet, maybe over the holidays. I think you'll appreciate it. Twitter is moving in big time with ABC's marketing campaign for Thursday's lineup. With that being said, you're starting to see characters tweet during shows, and oddly enough, then the show itself is asking you to tweet about it. So ABC has gone as far as to even brand their uh, lineup with hashtags and such. It's a weird world we're living in. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's catching on. Let's bring in Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst with briefing.com. Mr. O'Hare, do you have a hashtag tied to your name yet?
2: I do not, Rob. I feel like a dinosaur, but I have not gone uh, to the Twitter sphere just yet.
1: Twitter is one of those companies that came public that a lot of people are trying to figure out. Um, did you hear recently that their CFO accidentally sent out a tweet? Accidentally sent out a tweet about buying a company. Like it's a weird world you and I are living in because public disclosures are kind of important
2: well that's right I, I saw the headline about it i didn't read the story but um but I think it just goes to show that you know you're you're kind of at the at the mercy of uh you know that that public domain i mean even though you you can delete these tweets um when it's out there it's out there you know <laughs> there's kind of really no officially taking it back um and it can be you know you can get yourself into trouble uh communicating things that you um uh, Probably shouldn't have in such a, uh, a public uh, forum, or by way of a forum that can go pretty public in a hurry.
1: <laughs> How are you feeling about the holiday shortened weekend, or the holiday shortened week, as far as uh, the markets go?
2: Well, you know, it, it's it's you know one of those weeks that can uh, create some some funny money type of, of moves. I mean, you get uh, trading volume that tapers off as the week. Progresses, and you know with friday being a half day it's it's typically a, just a ridiculously light day of trading as far as the volume is concerned um and uh you know it, it tend not to put a lot of uh stock uh no pun intended, but i don't put a lot of stock in the moves you see in a in a week like this. Um, but you'll probably see some active participation in, in those retailers. and certainly in the energy sector, um, you know you have the OPEC meeting on Thursday and that's uh, certain to uh, induce some volatility within the energy complex and by extension the energy stocks following whatever decision OPEC uh, makes.
1: With that being said, what's your feeling on oil? There's two camps. Lower oil is going to help U.S. retailers, and uh, but there's the sign that it's bad for the world, but it's good for the small person in the United States. It's, it's kind of a damnation game.
2: You know, it is, and I've been kind of tossing that thought in my mind here as is uh, I've been watching, uh, you know, in relation to kind of like the, 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 the broader stock market, really. You know, as I as a cheap market analyst, I'm trying to get those things sorted out. And one of the things that struck me is that it seems like right now with the market's position, it's it's kind of allowing itself the best of both worlds, right? And you touched on it, that you get a drop in oil prices and by extension, a drop in gasoline prices. That you know that's a good thing, and so stocks, you know, go up. And then you might have a day where oil prices go up, and then all of a sudden the uh, the narrative shifts to, well, that's a sign that you know global economic activity is picking up, and that'll be good for corporate profits. So stocks go up. <laughs> so, uh and if you look at the the common denominator in all though is that what isn't going up or or down really is the Fed funds rate. Right, it's just stuck there pretty much at the zero bound. And so traders can kind of play it both ways. So I'm sorry for kind of getting off on a tangent there, but, you know, to to your question, I think as you see the incoming data from, you know, uh, China and Japan and the Eurozone, um, it, it, to me, it suggests that there is uh, some somewhat of a, uh, of a demand side element to the drop in oil prices. That is that demand isn't shaping up in the manner uh, a lot of suppliers expected, and so you are you're stuck with that supply-demand imbalance. Um, so you could see oil prices continue to stay under pressure here uh, in the near term. And uh, but I do think that you know where they're trading currently, it, it does bode well for the U.S. consumer. Certainly, um, you know you just have to look at uh, your your local gas station and the prices you're paying for uh, the you know proof and point that um, consumers are probably feeling like they have a little bit more money in their pocket. Uh, based on the fact that they're paying less for gasoline prices these days.
1: One of the stories out this morning as far as headlines go was the U.S. economy expands strongly in the third quarter, and yet the same headline would go, dot, 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 ignoring uncertainty abroad. How do you feel about the GDP of the United States tied towards, stick tied towards uncertainty abroad?
2: Right. Well, what the stock market has been, has been pricing in is, is, for, for a long time really is this, this hope, uh, that, you know, the economy, the U.S. economy will, will hit escape velocity and that that will in turn, you know, bode well for, for corporate profits. And, and what you're seeing, I think, in the Q3 GDP report and the revision we saw today is that, uh, the U.S. economy, certainly relative to other developed economies, is faring quite well right now. Um, you are getting, uh, consumer spending, you know, increasing, um, Business investment still on the weaker side of things, but, uh, but altogether, when you look at the, what we looked at was the real final sales number, which excludes the change in private inventories, you know, real final sales were up 4.1% in the third quarter, and that was the strongest rate of growth since the fourth quarter of 2010. So you're starting to see some traction there as more people go to work, um, as aggregate wages increase. Uh, as home values pick up, and certainly as stock prices increase, i mean that those are all good things um but you know will what's going on abroad ultimately drag down the u s um you know talk to our economist Jeff Rosen about this and and really you know when you look at the trade dynamic there, it should not have as much of a uh deleterious impact as you might think based on some of these headlines you're seeing. Um, with respect to what's going on in Europe and China. Really, you know, when it comes to trade issues uh with the US, the economies you really want to watch are Mexico and Canada. You know, those are the, the largest trading partners for us. And so um, so it's gonna create some noise there. Uh but uh as far as the stock market is concerned as you see these global economies suffering and the near idea that it could drag down the US economy it's going to embolden, I think, stock market participants to believe that the Fed will continue to be reluctant to raise interest rates until it has a real good sense that um, there isn't going to be a, a carryover effect here. Um, and that could, you know, be one of those ongoing support factors here as we digest some some mixed economic data.
1: Speaking with Patrick O'Hare, chief market analyst, briefing.com. Anything else that you want to highlight as far as things you're working on, things that you're seeing, you didn't shock me with your statements about Mexico and Canada, but I'll certainly listen to them again. so anything that you can shock me with in a good way
2: um, you know as you mentioned earlier, you know Thanksgiving week kind of can be a silly kind of week, and right. uh, one thing I'll be watching uh, interesting you know anxiously is is the reports on Fridays that relates to Black Friday sales. Um, but I almost say that tongue-in-cheek, because without fail, every Black Friday, you see the Business channels sitting out there and parked out at some local shopping mall, and they're interviewing shoppers and extrapolating from that one mall how all of the nation is spending. And I would just encourage your listeners basically to pretty much ignore all of those reports. Um, they're kind of silly, uh, to and they're anecdotal. Um, the national retail federation's forecasting a 4.1% increase in sales for november and december that's that's pretty decent growth i think what you keep in mind is that online shopping has also increased in popularity so you can't necessarily look at what's going on at your local mall uh, and what's being reported at that local mall on a business channel and say that that's kind of going to be, you know, really how the holiday shopping season is going to shape up. I mean, the ingredients are in place there for a good season. uh, When you think that gas prices have come down, more people are working, stock prices are higher. So um, I think that we just kind of need to divorce ourselves from some of the early Black Friday hysteria over sales activity and just let the dust settle. And I think in the end, you're going to see a pretty good uh, holiday selling season.
1: I don't know if you have any commentary on this, but one of the things I'm working on today for my television appearance is the retailers and how even sometimes when they win on Black Friday, they kind of lose because there's so much massive discounting going on at this time of the season that it kind of takes away from the margins that they need to have to succeed on Wall Street. Um, Are we stuck in that Amazon.com world of... We expect everything at a discount because we'll find it if you don't give it to us.
2: I think you're you're right on with that, Rob. I mean that's uh, you know we we tend to emphasize all of the promotional activity during the holiday selling period, and you certainly will see some tremendous deals. But uh, there's pricing transparency throughout the year, and there's certainly. Uh, you know, that search for low prices that goes on from January 1 to December 31, and you're able to kind of force that issue by way of the Internet and the pricing transparency it offers uh, by way of companies like Amazon.com, which are intent on being the low-price leader, uh, even though they might not make any money. Um, But that is certainly a a long-standing issue here that's going to continue to hang over the retailers uh, as they struggle to really gain some, um, some price traction. Because at the end of the day, there's always going to be a competitor there, it seems, that's going to be willing to undercut that price in the interest of uh, grabbing market share.
1: Maybe at a later date, Mr. O'Hare, we'll talk about, is Amazon kind of a reflection of the stock market? You know, you don't necessarily need to make money. You just have to have the faith that one day you will. But we'll save that for another day. All it's right, Mr. Rob, Patrick O'Hare. Happy holidays. Thank you for joining us all year long. I'm very, very thankful for it. He's the Chief Market Analyst with Briefing.com. With Briefing.com, you can find an independent live market analysis of U.S. and international equity markets, get a feel on the economy, get a feel on the markets, get a feel on trends, small caps, mid caps, large caps, international. Technicals, they cover all their bases. I'm Rob Black.
0: It's burning through my chair. The challenges are the
2: unknown be safe, be safe Whatever the mess you are you might okay that is the
1: custom I'm Earl Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Nike is about to get even bigger, thanks to the habits of some of their millennial shoppers. Athletic apparel and footwear is set to outperform the industry for the next five years. I think not everyone, but most people should consider owning a company like Nike or an Under Armour. Because of the athletic apparel and footwear, is set to outperform the industry for the next five years. Nike is the giant, with $28 billion in sales. Others will see business boom as well, and that could include Under Armour, Foot Locker, Finish Line, maybe even Lululemon. I'll say not yet in large part because everyone's going to be going after their pie first. Number of people participating in running events, has grown an average of 9% every year since 2005. How stupid of a statistic is that, and yet how right on is it that data shows Millennials believe exercise is essential for health? And joining a run for breast cancer or joining a run for prostate cancer, whatever, uh, helps raise money. Parents used to focus on diets and then we started saying diet is an exercise, and now it's kind of like exercise. I know a friend who says, I can drink whatever I want as long as I exercise that day. Increased activity leads to increased athletic apparel. Um, Period. Exclamation mark. Hashtag obvious. More competition is leading to better products. Now, Nike's facing competition from companies like Under Armour, New Balance, Adidas, and Lululemon. Lululemon. And I know you're saying... Isn't it New Balance? No, it's New Balance. Uh, For instance, Nike's Flyknit shoes have been wildly successful. The Flyknit material, which debuted about two years ago, is lightweight, it's minimalist, and it fits like socks. It's pretty darn cool. Nike uses automated high-tech knitting technology to weave the shoe's upper half into one piece instead of several pieces that are stitched together. Uh, A little bit more durable because of that. Number four. Number three on the list of the top four reasons why Nike is going to dominate. And I can do number four first instead of number three if you want, but I'll be conventional because number one, again, was young people are exercising more. Number two was competition leads to cooler products. I've got a pair of Nike shoes on right now, and I know I shouldn't wear Nike because Nike is evil. They have those little Asian workers with their little Asian hands. Like six-year-old kids putting together shoes and like if my shoe was made in America, it would be a big, clumsy, big-handed dude who's in a union. Oh, it's the cheap labor argument of why Nike's got a a competitive advantage. It's kind of true. But number three on the list is people like being comfortable. So popularity of yoga pants and sneakers is often cited as a fashion trend. People like casual comfort. Now, I kind of mentioned this yesterday where if you're wearing sweatpants like as your daily wear, you've basically given up or you just like being comfortable. Who wouldn't want it? I mean, yoga pants if you know if Rome was built in 7 days like they spent the eighth day coming up with great ideas, like um, yoga pants and such. So as the trend continues, the company, for people wanting to be comfortable, will expand their assortments, and they'll rake in the money. Nike just opened its first store for women. And number four on the list of why Nike is dominant and become more dominant is Athletic Apparel's Going International. There's that middle class in China and Latin America increasingly demanding athletic apparel. Basically, large untapped markets that could provide big opportunities. As GDP per capita rises, consumer has more discretionary income to spend, and they broadly see participation in sports rising. Now, speaking of, you know, some obvious things here. One of the signs that the economy is improving is our spend on lingerie. Americans spend more money on undergarments, lingerie, when the economy is doing well and improving. I don't know why that is, the psychological's behind it. I think we could tap into the obvious, hey, we're feeling sexier, we're feeling employed. Um, so you're starting to see companies like limited brands do very, very well as the economy continues to improve. It's one of those things that is kind of cool as a statistic. There's ones out there that I don't believe much in, like, you know, skirt lines and how high or low they are. Um, but there you go. More spending on lingerie at limited brands equals improving economy. Ten things not to buy on Black Friday. Do not buy, for instance, workout gear and equipment. Holidays are all about friends, all about feasting, but your waistline usually pays the price. You gain weight. So you'll see a sale for sale on a lot of things like elliptical machines and treadmills starting on Black Friday. Prices start to drop even further in December. But once January rolls around, that's when they need people the most. Because they're all set on that New Year's resolution of losing weight. Don't buy holiday supplies during Christmas. You've already missed your best window. Toys don't do on Black Friday. Wait till the week before. Maybe they don't have it in, but that's when you get your best deal on it. Brand name TVs wait till at least March. Uh, that's when it's, it's the driest after the Super Bowl.